All right, welcome into the Quintessential Ministry Podcast. This is part two in my series on my favorite book for um, working with people. It's called Bringing Out the Best in People by Alan Loy McGinnis. This is Pastor Quint, and uh, I just wanted to come at you, kind of do something different these last two episodes of the podcast. Um, if you didn't catch the first one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, but um, I guess the brief recap would be that many years ago, I stumbled upon this book um, that is just absolutely dynamite as far as working with people, how to be effective working with people, how to relate to other people, and it's called Bringing Out the Best in People, How to Enjoy Helping Others Excel. It's by an author and a psychologist named Alan Loy McGinnis, and uh, I've read it a bunch of times. It has been a while, though, since I've read it, and so I decided to get it off the shelf, dust it off, and um, give it a fresh read, and I'm so glad that I have done that. So um, in it, he presents the 12 rules for bringing out the best in people. And last episode, I went through the first six and just kind of gave you some of my thoughts, some of my experiences, some of the things that I've learned about bringing out the best in people, and then that I've learned from this book, but then actually used you know, in my everyday life, whether it was when I was in the business world or now that I'm in ministry, um, those principles really work. Bringing out the best in people is a principle that works no matter what you're doing, whether you're a parent Uh, I want to bring the best out in my kids. Whether you're a a boss, I want to bring the best out in those that I supervise. Um, Whether you are an employee, I want to be the best and bring out the best I can in my boss. This works all directions, and it's just such such an important thing for us to spend our time on. So so we did one through six last time. We're going to do seven through 12 this time. Let me fire through one through six real fast. And like I said, if you didn't catch part one, I would definitely go back and listen to that. But um, number one, expect the best from the people that you lead. Number two, make a thorough study of the other person's needs. Number three, establish high standards for excellence. Number four, create an environment where failure is not fatal. Number five, If people are going anywhere near where you want to go, climb on their bandwagon. And number six, employ models that encourage success. So that's kind of what we riffed on last week, or last episode, excuse me. And what I want to do today is just kind of pick up right where we left off, and I'll fire through 7 through 12 and maybe share a couple examples of things that I've uh, encountered or things that I've used from this um, kind of in my leadership journey. So number seven is recognize and applaud achievement. Um, I have to admit, I am not a big attaboy type person. I like to do a good job because I like to do a good job. I like to be um, efficient because I like to be efficient. But I have learned that people are not all wired exactly how I am and that people do like to be affirmed. People do like to be, um, you know, encouraged for the work that they're doing. And to be frank, while that might not be the thing that gets me up in the morning, it is something that does mean a lot to me when it does occur. So don't get me wrong, I do enjoy it, but I don't necessarily need it to function well. But I have just learned that most people are wired different than me, and so it's important for me to recognize that and to recognize and applaud the achievement of others, whether it is my kids for simple little things. Um, I remember hearing Dave Ramsey talk about teaching your kids about money and giving them an allowance and saying that, you know, 
when you first start giving an allowance, you teach your kids, all right, we're going to clean this room and you clean 85% of it and they clean 15 and you praise them like they did the 85 and you did the 15 and then you give them, you know, the dollar bill or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you're using positive reinforcement to uh, continue to raise them up. So recognize and applaud achievement is huge. Um, when you're on a team, when you're working uh, with different people, no matter what the case is, it's just so important that we recognize people's achievements and we applaud and encourage them. Number eight, employ a mixture of positive and negative reinforcement. So this is probably more naturally how I am wired. Um, Negative reinforcement is not obviously comfortable, but it is, um, I think because I prioritize I'm kind of giving you this through my lens, but because I prioritize doing a good job when things don't go well and I'm, I have a negative experience, I vow right then and there, I do not want to ever repeat that. And that is the motivation that I need, um, to, to do a better job or to do a good job, um, going forward. So I think that, um, you know, there needs to be that mixture of positive and negative reinforcement. It's not that um, it can't always be sunshine and rainbows, and it can't always be um, just how great everyone's doing. There are times we do need correction, you know. Uh, I think that's very obvious in this life. That's obvious as parents. That's obvious as leaders. Um, it can't always be positive. There does need to be that um, that room for negative reinforcement. I think in um, some coaching classes and things I've taken, there's that sandwich technique where people talk about um, giving people uh, a positive, then the negative, and then finishing it with a positive. I don't know that it needs to be that rigid, but it is important to remember that you don't want the negative to be the highlight. Um, You know, it needs to be that mixture. There needs to be the positive and the negative um, with... obviously the end goal of we're all working to get better. We're all striving to do our best. So let's just continue striving together and uh, always putting your arm around people because they are on your team. Number nine, appeal sparingly to the competitive urge. I think this speaks to the fact that not everyone is wired competitively. And so it can be a, a big turnoff to some people, if uh, everything has to turn into a competition all the time. Um, I am a competitive person, and that is not how I want my workplace to be uh, geared. I um, I don't like to live inside the comparison world, and I don't think many people do. Um, and I think if you were to lead an organization that way, or if you find yourself on a team that operates that way, the negative part of that is it only really speaks to um, those few that are wired that way. And I think it really does hurt morale and turn off uh, momentum for for the rest of the, the people. And I just I think that competitiveness is great and there's obviously a place for it. But I think ultimately, from an organization and a team standpoint, um, Appealing sparingly to that is huge because it just isn't how most people are wired. Life and work shouldn't feel like a competition and a comparison that is demotivating and uh, and potentially harmful. So that would be number nine. 
Number 10, place a premium on collaboration. I feel like this is more and more prevalent in today's society than um, than it probably was prior, but I think millennials, Gen X and millennials have really brought this into the workplace. Collaboration is anywhere and everywhere. You see that from something as simple as Google Drive and shared docs and shared files and how we collaborate even at a distance, even remotely. Um, and then on top of that, just the way different churches are led, the way different organizations are led, the way that you see co-working spaces becoming more and more popular in our country. Um, Collaboration is huge, and collaboration is honestly responsible for just so much, so many technological advances. It isn't always easy, and it is, um, you know, there's potentially a lot of sticky scenarios in there um, as far as who gets credit for what. And I think, you know, music and and bands have always been an example of collaboration where it can be amazingly beautiful and it also can be amazingly tense and a lot of ego gets involved and tragic might be an overstatement but definitely some room for um for harm and anger and tension in relationships um from collaboration so collaborating is an amazing tool and i definitely think we should uh, and I'm fortunate to work at a place where we do prioritize it, um, you know, a lot here at the church. But collaboration is, um, it's an art form, and finding the right chemistry with all of the right people, with all the right times, it takes books like this, it takes principles like bringing out the best in people, and the 12 rules for doing so to make it happen and to learn how to give each other grace And the Bible even speaks to this when it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with every person. And Paul writes in three of his letters, live a life worthy of the calling and also fight for unity with each other. And so those are two principles we can absolutely remember when it comes to collaborating. Um, It is work, it takes effort, and it takes being very, very gracious with each other to to collaborate to put your idea out there makes you feel very vulnerable. Um, and then also to be healthy enough to be okay if your idea isn't the one that gets used. I had to learn this the very, very hard way. I remember when I first got into ministry, I would come up with an idea, and in my mind, it was absolutely the right one and absolutely the best one. And I really struggled when it didn't always get used, and I had to realize that um, there isn't necessarily just one right way, uh, but we can all come up together. We can all together come up with um, a right way, and we can all work together. And maybe it's a slight compromise of everyone's idea that creates the ultimate idea that we work with. Um, number 11, build into the group an allowance for storms. I think that that really speaks to what we just talked about with number 10, placing a premium on collaboration. We need to build into um, build into our organizations, build into our teams, build into our groups, build into our family units, an allowance for tension and for um, discomfort. And, um, you know, a lot of times some of those, like I said, uh, probably an overstatement, but some of those tragic stories of bands uh, they probably just didn't have that allowance for storms. It was, this has to always be great, 
and when it stops being great, um, you know, we need, we're, we're just going to break up or it's just going to be over. And I think that you see that. Um, unfortunately, you see that even in marriages sometimes. I think that uh, marriage is a lot of work. And when you get past the warm and fuzzy infatuation stage, you need to build in uh, room for some tension and you need to build in room to work through those tensions. And it's the same with collaborating in your organization. Uh, you need to build in just room for those tense moments when someone might not be mature enough to have their their idea not be the idea. How do you work through that as a group? Um, it definitely is a group effort. So building into the group an allowance for storms. I mean, I think... You know, right now, my family, my kids are wrapping up their first year of homeschooling. Um, My oldest is in first grade, and then a couple of them are in preschool. But honestly, it's starting to feel like they're all just ready to be done. Um, They're kind of sick of their three or four classmates, which also are their siblings. And we are trying our best to allow for there to be some storms, if you will, some tension there, but also we want them to rise above that. So it is hard. Like it, there needs to be there needs to be the realization and the reality in relationships, even from a young age, that it's not always perfect, but that's okay. It's not always agreeable, but that's okay. We can work through it and relationships are worth working through it. And that's what we are working on in this season of parenting uh, with our very young children. Um, and I think that it's amazing that this this book speaks to that. And then um, number 12, take steps to keep your own motivation high. This is something that um, I probably am... This is where I'm spending the majority of my time. This is why I pulled this book back out, um, because I need to personally be investing in my mental health, my soul health, my restoration with the Father, so that my motivation to do my job and do it well stays very, very high. Um, I think what happens a lot of times, and this definitely has been my story as a leader, is you get into a leadership position of any kind, or even you get into a groove with your job, whether you're leading others or not, and you kind of just roll on the fuel that you have in your tank, but the fuel keeps depleting. And if you don't replenish it, if you don't fill it back up, if you don't pull out a good book or watch a good motivational speech or listen to some great sermons or fill up on some decent podcasts, if you do not do these things to fill your tank back up, you find yourself living on the fumes of great content that you have once consumed. And I spoke to that a little bit in the last episode. So this is, to me, it's the 12th thing, but it is arguably one of the most important things. Take steps to keep your own motivation high, because when you are doing the other 11, when you're expecting the best from the people that you lead, and you're assessing their needs and trying to lead them based on their needs, and you're establishing those high standards for excellence, and you're doing all the things that we've talked about here, it is a very draining experience. It is a good experience. It is a good draining experience, but it is still a draining experience. And that is true even of parenting. Parenting is a great, awesome, beautiful, miraculous experience. It is also incredibly draining, uh, incredibly difficult. And so if we are not filling back up our reservoir 
and operating out of the abundance of good that we're putting inside of us, by default, we will end up running on the fumes of what we have consumed in the past. And that is where things get tense and dangerous and hard, and that is where it becomes almost impossible to bring out the best in other people because we honestly aren't even bringing out the best in ourselves because it's hard to bring out the best in yourself when you're living off of the fumes of what you have consumed in the past. So that would be my two cents on those things. I really hope you've enjoyed these two episodes. Kind of short, a little different than what I've done in the past, but this book is speaking to me all over again in new ways And I just hope it has spoken to you. I hope maybe it's encouraged you. You can find this book on Amazon. You probably can find it other places as well. But Bringing Out the Best in People, Alan Loy McGinnis, uh, an oldie but a goodie. It's definitely a classic. came out in 1985. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's that. Um, Something to look forward to. We're here in Easter week. Very excited about that. It's my favorite week of the year. Um, Always speaks to me and totally totally amazing ways every single year. Uh, Seven years ago this week, I kind of made my start in ministry. I led worship for the first time. I hadn't played music in almost eight years. It was an amazing experience and has completely flipped my life upside down to go from part-time worship leader to the executive pastor of a church like Erie First in just seven years is not a story I could have written if I had wanted to. So um, I'm just so amazed and humbled by what God has done done in my life. And Easter always reminds me of that because it's when it all kind of started. Um, coming out of Easter, we will be doing a series here at Erie First Assembly called Calling on God. It's a prayer series, and I'm excited to preach the first message. Um, and then with those messages... Uh, Pastor Nicole and I did some bonus podcasts with a few local pastors, so I'll be pushing those out here on my channel after Easter, Um, so you can look forward to those. Uh, They're just really good conversations about what it means to call out to God for help, what it means to call out to God for healing, and what it means to call out to God for wisdom, and I was just privileged to be a part of those conversations, and, and I'm excited for you to hear those. So, Um, I hope you have a blessed Easter. I appreciate you tuning in to the Quintessential Ministry Podcast, and I look forward to sharing those episodes with you in the month of April and seeing where things go as we head into the summer. Thanks so much for tuning in. I was wondering